to episode number 16 of the Low Angst Library Podcast. Today we have an interview with Bick Sparrow. I'm your resident librarian, Lee Blair. This library is your stop for all things light, fluffy, funny, sweet, spicy, and everything in between. I not only publish low angst queer romances, but I'm a voracious reader of them too. And I created this podcast because I wanted to talk to fellow authors who write romances featuring queer main characters because I wanted to learn what draws them to the lighter side of angst, more about their books and their writing processes. How in the world is it already late July? I feel like summer is going by too fast. And frankly, the gay romance lit retreat in October is going to be here before I know it, which probably means I better finish a couple of books. (laughs) Oops. I had a super fun weekend this past weekend, hanging out with two writing friends, Bette Gray and DJ Gaynor. We went to a Pride Festival and Highland Games, and there was lots of laughs and rainbows and kilts and talking about books, and it's just so fun to get to hang out with writer friends in person. I also picked my first tomato from my garden, and I am so damn proud of that thing. And it will probably be in uh, my belly for dinner tonight. Yum, yum, yum. It's so satisfying getting to eat things you have grown in your garden. I have not gotten to do that very often yet because not everything has made it into my stomach. Um, There's been a number of rounds of lettuce and cilantro that has bolted before I could eat it. But, you know, you live and learn. I also want to tell you about an awesome group sale that I organized. If you are interested in some low angst queer romances, There are 13 of them on sale through July 31st. I'll put a link in the show notes. You can also find the link on my author social media accounts at Lee Blair Books. I put my 24 Dares of Christmas book on sale for 99 cents. It's very much like Hallmark vibes with some steam. And it's about Reed, who is recently dumped and he's about to move from Portland to Seattle for a new job with his company after New Year's. And his beloved aunt asked him to house sit and dog sit for her while she's taking a European vacation of a lifetime with Reed's parents over Christmas. And he thinks, okay, I'm going to be here for about a month. I just want to hibernate through the season. But his aunt leaves him an advent of festive dares, which is a cute throwback to a thing that they did when he was young. Fortunately, his aunt's neighbor, Warren, is basically a Christmas elf and he offers to help Reed work through the dares. And Reed starts to realize that his feelings for Warren go deeper than a new friendship. This is a bi-awakening story with tons and tons of festive cheer and festive activities. It's set in my Dahlia Springs small town universe, and I have a spin-off duology coming out this year, actually. So if you're interested in snagging this book and checking out the fabulous 12 other stories for sale, please check the link in the show notes. And if you're listening to this after July 31st, I'm sorry. (laughs) The books are still available, just not at the sale price. All right, now let's get into my fun interview with Bix Barrow. We talked about glitter bombs, her love for animals, balancing suspense and humor, and so much more. Bix Barrow writes steamy and humorous contemporary male-male and male-male-male romance with light suspense and cute animals. Accompanying her on her writing exploits are her two dogs and six cats. An avid traveler, Bix has started to view her expeditions as interviews for her future home. Born and raised in Texas, she is eager to move somewhere with fewer politicians, hurricanes, and flooding. 
And if y'all could do me a favor and try to convince Bix to move to the Pacific Northwest, I would be personally very grateful because she is wonderful. Bix Barrow, thank you so much for hanging out with me in the Low Angst Library. I'm happy you're here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited about our talk today. Oh, me too. This is going to be fun. I can't wait to ask you questions. Mahaha. <laughs> I love to start with what got you into writing books and writing romance specifically? I've always loved to write way back to elementary school. But after college, I was focused on my career and my social life. And I always had some vague, wistful dream about becoming an author and writing a book, but I never really had a big idea for it. And I read, I mean, I read everything, but I was reading a lot of male-female romance novels. But when I discovered MM Romance, then suddenly I had ideas for books, like plot ideas, and that had never happened to me before. <laughs> and not only do I love the genre just for what it is as a reader, but it opened up my brain in ways that I never anticipated. Here we are today. That's incredible. I love that you had that moment of just things aligning and it just clicked. When when you start getting those ideas, there's just nothing like that feeling. I'm so glad that exactly. happened. Exactly. Exactly. And now I have 12 ideas that who knows when I'm going to be able to finish those books. <laughs> Lucky for us readers. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> what draws you to writing low angst stories since you could be writing anywhere on the angst spectrum? Why did you choose that direction? Well, I didn't start out planning to be a low angst writer. Angst level wasn't even something that I was considering as something to think about when planning a book. You might notice my first book, Holding On to a Hero, is a little bit higher angst level than my second and third books. The main characters are separated for a long time right after they become interested in each other, but before they come together and make it official. When I was writing Holding On to a Hero, I was reading a lot of books with higher angst levels. And so it is reflected in the story that I came up with. When I went to write my second book, Heart Me Up, the first draft was even higher angst. Oh, wow. I, it was like super angst plus jokes. And so I had high angst plus humor. And I sent it to my editor, the first draft, and she was like, this is not working for me. Oh. <laughs> it really made me... Take a step back and think about what do I want to write going forward? What is my writing style going to be that readers can expect from me that I will enjoy writing? And what I had at the time migrated to reading was low angst stories and Usually they were funny and usually they had animals in them. And so it really helped me define how I wanted to write going forward. So I 
ended up focusing on writing fun books rather than taking readers on a cathartic, difficult, <laughs> but rewarding mo emotional journey. Because when I read, I like to leave a book happier than I was when I started it. And so that's what I'm really trying for. If there are external issues in the story, the protagonist might have to deal with those. Those may cause some stress on the relationship. But in my books, the angst is not going to come from within the relationship. That's such a good way to think about it, of leaving a book happier than you started. I really like that. And it's interesting that you say when you were writing your first book that what you were reading influenced what you were writing. So in terms of your reading taste these days, you mentioned you're writing mostly low angst, but you have read across the board in the past. What angst levels are you reading these days? Typically, I try for low angst. I, I have enough stress in my daily life. I, I don't want to add some stress about whether the characters are going to end up together because their relationship is on the rocks. Every once in a while, I'll read a high angst book. If it's an author that I trust uh, to get me there and make it mm. rewarding enough, but I really have to be in the mood for that. Uh, I will nine times out of 10 pick the low angst book to start with and then the high angst ones sit there on my tbr file <laughs> and look at me jealously but it's the exact same for me they just sit there collecting dust feel just lonely because it, it you're right <laughs> like the trust piece is so important i feel like there's so many times i've read either books or fan fiction, whatever, where it felt like it was so much angst throughout the story, but then there wasn't enough work done at the end to wrap up that angst and really prove to me that they would be okay, that they survived whatever that angsty issue was, and that I could trust their happily ever after. And I feel like I've been burned enough that I'm just like, ah, I'm just going to stick to light, fluffy stuff. <laughs> right. Exactly. Because then that you're going to have a good time reading it. It's going to benefit your life instead of making it more stressful. Yeah. Oh, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. We've talked about your favorite angst levels to read. What about your favorite tropes to both read and write? Oh, Grumpy Sunshine is my absolute favorite, which my most recent book, Ed Overfeels, it's total grumpy sunshine. <laughs> uh, I love an age gap, but of course, anything with animals and anything that's funny, which I'm not sure if that even qualifies as a trope, but I gravitate toward that. I love a good hurt comfort in a low <laughs> angst way. Again, if I'm in the mood, I can do high angst, but it's rare. I love a fake dating story. I could go on and on, but really just about any trope and sign me up for it. Oh, hurt comfort and low angst can be so sweet when someone is like sick 
or gets injured. And there's just that like sweet caregiving element, especially when it's done by someone you don't usually see in that caregiving role. And then you just get to see that sweet side of them. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Melt my heart. Goodness, I love that. From your reading, do you have any low angst book recommendations? Oh, wow. A lot. Right now on audio, I'm listening to E.J. Russell's Supernatural Selection series. And I love her books. They're just so much fun. And the audio is great. For paranormal in general, I also love A.J. Sherwood, Megan Maslow, Megan Durr, and Louisa Masters, of course. In contemporary, of course, your books are at the top of the list. I'm looking forward to the next Tap That Brewery book to come out. But I also can't forget to mention Beck Gray, Isla Olson, Kelly Fox, although hers have some medium angst snuck in there sometimes. Annabeth Albert, Charlie Cochet, and then... From a romantic suspense perspective, I love Amy Nicole Walker, Mary Calme, Nora Phoenix. I could just go on and on. Oh, that's such a good list. All sorts of goodness. And I love that you read across subgenres. That's so cool. I have always read across subgenres because I grew up just reading anything I could get my hands on. And while I don't read male-female romance anymore. I will still read space operas and urban fantasy and things like that that aren't necessarily MM-related, but more and more that's getting more rare. And I'm really sticking with the MM authors these days. It's. I feel like it's hard not to when you are an author and a reader and your time is already limited because you're not only working on your own books, you, as we do for each other, beta read each other's books. And so you're getting to read friends' books. And then you're also trying to read what's going on in your specific area just to know what's in there. And then reading for fun. And there's so many layers that it feels like when you've got that limited time, it seems natural to want to go to the authors who bring you joy or the next in a series you're already reading. So I feel like it's easier for that breadth of gender or genre or age categories to just narrow down when you've got your go-to authors you read in your very limited time. Exactly. And then Amazon will say, hey, did you know this new book is coming out? And it's no now. That's going on my pile to read now. So, yes, I'm addicted. (laughs) I would love to know, as we move into talking about your writing, what is your writing process like? It's weird because in everyday life, I am like a spreadsheet person. I make lists. I have a plan. And so I really thought I would be one of those people that would make a detailed outline of the entire book and then just fill in the outline and write the story and that would be it. 
And I, I tried that with my first book and it just didn't work. So what I end up doing is I have a basic idea of the plot, but it's pretty vague. And I know where I'm going with the story as a whole. And maybe if there's a suspense element, then I have an idea of how that's going to play out. But then I start writing and just see what the characters do and things change. And I'm surprised when it all works out. <laughs> it's so fun that way, though. I, my process is similar. Completely expected to be a plotter, heavy outliner because of, yeah, day job and how I work in other parts of my life. But when it comes to this creative stuff, you're just like, uh, we're yep. gonna see what happens <laughs> hope it works out exactly and it's also fun because you're talking to people or looking on the internet or reading another book and something will pop out at you and you think wow what if i did this with my story and then it just makes it even richer as part of the plot or the character development. And I really enjoy it when those little idea nuggets come into being. I agree. I love nuggets, idea nuggets, dino chicken nuggets, gold <laughs> nuggets. <laughs> I'm vegetarian, so maybe not the chicken nuggets for me. But It could be the C-I-K-N, the oh, chicken, the, the fake chicken nuggets. Food pretending to be other food is scary, but I saw an ad that was a dino shaped chicken nugget pillow and I was so tempted. <laughs> oh, social what, media. What have we come to as a society? <laughs> you mentioned that sometimes you see something on TV or you're reading or talking to someone and you get ideas. Where do a lot of your ideas and inspiration come from? Wow. Everywhere. Real life, the day job, the internet, the idea for my Christmas book that I'm working on now originated with a meme. It's evolved into something completely different, of course, but that's what sparked the idea for the story. But sometimes it's actual intentional brainstorming if I get stuck on something, such as when I was stuck on some plot points and head over feels and you talked through them with me. And that one conversation just shaped how the entire suspense plot um, played out in the book. And so those are also really valuable as well as when you just get the idea in the wild, as it were. It's bananas, I think, to try to clock all the different ways that we get ideas. <laughs> They're just all over the place. Uh, but those conversations, it's the same. When we've talked, there's been stuff you've helped me with my books, and there's nothing like being able to bounce ideas off of someone and getting either other perspectives or if you're just going back and forth or the validation of, yeah, I'm on the right track. And then that, at least for my brain, sometimes like when we've had conversations and it's, okay, so I am on the right track and it's almost like it unlocks something in my head where it's just, okay, I can I feel safe to go down this path now. And then the ideas just start coming. Exactly. And that sort of click in your brain when the right idea... 
comes up in conversation and it just, you can just feel it all through your body that this is it and this is the way it's going to be. Oh, yes. Fantastic. There's nothing like that feeling. You're just like, hallelujah. Well, you mentioned your series a little bit so far, which is set in Texas. And I would just love to know more about your Bent Oak books and what drew you to setting your books in Texas. Oh, Texas. I live in Texas now, for better or worse. Hopefully it won't be forever. And it just made sense to set the series here because it's easy to add local color when you have direct experience with it. But also, Texas is an interesting place. It's huge and you can find all kinds of people and different sized cities and types of professions and everybody's different. And I think people enjoy reading about it because in a way it seems like another country. It's just so huge. But the real world politics are appalling in a lot of ways. Mm. And that is also a concern when I'm writing. I have a very minor side character in Head Over Feels, and they have a child who is trans. And my editor made a note on that, and she said, I'm really worried about this trans child because it's set in Texas. Mm. And... I agree, honestly. I'm worried about this fictional character because I live in a state that treats people like that so horribly. At some point, I will be moving out of Texas, and who knows if the settings for my books will change at that point, but I guess we'll find out. But because I made up a fictional town to set my books in, then obviously it's a very queer-friendly place, and they don't have to worry about walking down the street and getting called names, which in the larger cities in Texas doesn't happen all that often, but in the smaller towns, it absolutely can. That's the nice thing that we have as options as authors is getting to take a place that might not be as friendly and make a friendlier fictional version of it. If you love parts about where you live, but it doesn't meet the need on the queer friendliness, I'm just going to take the things I like about Texas and make it queer friendly in my books. I like exactly. that. Exactly. Exactly. And I might mention occasionally being wary about the people that they run into or whatever, but on the whole, it's not something that I have impact the characters' daily lives, which is refreshing and helps with my stress levels. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Another thing that you have in this series is a mix of relationship styles represented. So both monogamous and ethically non-monogamous representation. 
How did that come about, having a mix of representation in the same series? Again, like I've been mentioning this whole conversation, it wasn't planned. Things just evolved. When I was writing Holding On to a Hero, my first book, in the beginning, I had the character of Will, who's a photographer, all set. And I couldn't decide who his love interest was. I knew that there was going to be an actor who would have a bodyguard. And I was trying to decide if it was going to be the actor or the bodyguard. And Will, the character, was over here going, hey, what about both of them? And <laughs> so it's like, oh, that's a fun idea. Let's try that. So I just went with it. And the way their relationship uh, evolves, there's so much else going on in that book from the suspense plot perspective that I didn't want to have to take up story time having all three of them be new to the relationship. So the actor and the bodyguard characters are already in a relationship and they are looking for a third person when Will comes into their lives and it all clicks, etc. And so the complex plot was also part of the reason that I have them being in a closed triad, not looking to add anyone else to that, just because it reduced the elements that I had to add to the plot. And it really seemed to fit their personalities as well. So I was pleased with how it turned out for them. It turned out really great. And I love how their dynamic comes through in the other books when those characters appear and they just know exactly how the other ones work, how like a nicer way of how to manage almost like you know what to expect what they're going to do. So you're just like anticipating and trying to like process. I think they're just so funny and cute. I love them. (laughs) Me too. They, I didn't expect them to show up in every other book, but it does seem to be turning out that way. So We'll see if that continues. (laughs) That's the joy of reading a series with characters like that. That's what I love as a reader is the recurring where you get to revisit and get these little cameos from other ones. Oh, catnip. Exactly. Exactly. And when you're writing that one side character who starts to be so interesting (laughs) and head over feels the side character, Steve, originally he was going to be a woman. Um, but then the personality just started coming through so strongly. I was like, it needs to be a guy and he needs to have his own book. And so he's now the main character in my Christmas story. So I'm really enjoying writing that because he's super fun. Oh, I cannot wait to read it. Sounds like it's going to be such a good story. Oh my gosh. The joys of being a beta reader, getting early access. (laughs) You mentioned so far, too, that you love animals and we don't air the videos of these, but one of your cats has been just like walking around. So I'm getting to enjoy kitty visitors and you have almost double digit pets. 
Uh, I would just love to know more about where your love for animals comes from and how they're becoming part of your voice and brand of books. Sure. I have always loved animals back when I was a baby. The only way I would take a nap is if my mom put the dog in the crib with me. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and I never played with dolls. I always had stuffed animals. I had no use for pretending to be a mother or anything. I just wanted the animals. And that's continued through my whole life, which is how I ended up with, I have now six cats and two dogs currently. We're hopefully going to stop at this level and not get any more. But I said that when I had five cats and, <laughs> and in January, people were like, he was thrown out of a truck. So now I have six. Anyway, I digress. So when I read, I love to see animals in the story because, you know, that resonates with me as a pet owner. And so when I started writing, it was only natural for me to add animals to the story because that's what I'm interested in, right? And so I assume that other people are interested in reading about animals as well. But also, the animals can add an emotional element in some cases. And, of course, the funny elements, because animals are inherently funny. <laughs> and I'm all about adding the humor, so it really works out well and... I think that I'm probably going to end up with animals in every story that I write, but we'll see what happens. They are so much fun. You're right. Like they just can really add something to a scene or just be that extra memorable part of a book or just get a personality on their own. Oh, I love it. Exactly. And I love it when people tell me, funny stories about what their animals have done. And then I'm like, I know exactly how to incorporate that <laughs> in your book. So. Yes. <laughs> you are writing contemporary romance, but your books have an element of suspense in them, which you've referenced a bit so far. I would love to know more about how you balance low angst with contemporary high humor and that suspense element. <laughs> You're like, I. it just happens. It just happens. That's I what mean, your face just said. Your face just said it just happens. <laughs> it's a surprise to me, just like to you. I don't, like I, I said before, I can't sit down and make a chart of how it's all going to work together. But I kind of plan out the overarching suspense plot, at least somewhat. So I know that if I hit a point in the story where I can incorporate something, a little reference, then I do that. But it's really just seat of my pants and subject to change based on decisions that the characters make that I didn't know they were going to make three paragraphs ago. And... The contemporary romance part, I really just say, 
hey, I got this character and that character and they need to get together and I have an idea about a meet cute and then I let them develop their own relationship once they meet. It's worked out so far. Yeah, and and the humor, I'm trying to add it almost to every scene. Even the sex scenes, I'm sorry, but sex is funny. It is and, funny and awkward. It is funny and awkward. And I read some books and they have these gorgeous sex scenes and it's choreographed and they're all synchronized and everything. And that is not the way it works in real life. So I like to reflect the, the realistic text of <laughs> but yes, so to sum up, I have no idea how it all comes together. I'm just along for the ride and I watch it happen and that's how it <laughs> You're really good at adding the humor to the suspense piece. I feel like that's what makes it stand out from a traditional romantic suspense book. There's so much humor, like in Head Over Feels, without getting spoilery. You just, you have really good humor with, it's about guys that one of the characters is dated and how those guys appear in the books adds humor to that suspense element. The glitter bomb piece is funny, the way that they're talking to each other and those suspense moments, like they're tense, but they also have really good humor. I really love how you're able to balance those two together. Oh, thank you for saying that, but... Again, it just sort of <laughs> that way. Well, whatever's working, just keep doing it. And it's working. Thank you. That's all I can do. <laughs> On the topic of Head Over Feels, I love this book, as you very much know, with my gazillions of comments in the beta draft of LOL, LOL, oh my God, I love this. But for other readers who might be new to this book, can you tell us about Head Over Feels? Sure. In Head Over Fields, one of the main characters is Malcolm, who is an ex-FBI agent, and he also happens to own a cat who has arthritis. The other main character is Felix, who is a pet massage therapist. And yes, that is a real job. <laughs> we'll have. So Felix has had this long string of dates with kind of quirky guys who were not right for him. And so the dates did not go very well. But instead of just whining about the dates to his friends, like the rest of us do, he sells the stories of his dates to his sister, who's a TV producer on a sitcom. And she uses all of the stories of his dates for characters on her show, but she doesn't hide their identities very well. So they all recognize themselves and they find each other on TikTok. One of them posts a video about it. And that was your suggestion. So thank you very much. So then the ex-dates get together and start talking to each other and they figure out that they have all gone out with Felix. And <laughs> it's so funny. They decide that they want to harass Felix because they know that he was the source of the information about them to the TV show. And so I wanted the 
method of the harassment to be not violent and not like scary stalkery because the ex-states needed to be sympathetic characters. And so when you were helping me brainstorm this, you suggested I watch some glitter bomb videos and I did. And that was all it took. The story was set. I knew exactly what was going to happen. <laughs> Thank you very much for that brainstorming. <laughs> That was very helpful and key to the plot, but overall, I'm just super excited about how Head Over Feels turned out, and the feedback from the readers has been great, so it's really rewarding as an author to be able to put something out in the world that you're that proud of. Oh, I love that. There's just something warm and fuzzy, just, yeah, when you're excited about a story, and it's fun to read the reactions that people are having and the balance. Like for anyone who just really likes humor with some suspense in a contemporary setting, it's just such a good mix. I really love this book. It's so good. Oh, thank you. I couldn't have done it without you. Oh, shucks. You've helped me a lot. Woo! You have helped me a lot lately, especially. You poor thing. She She's been doing a lot lot of beta reading for me lately, everybody. A lot of beta reading. Got a lot of stories coming out. My gosh. Yeah, there's three more coming soon. So (laughs) prepare your beta reading. I'm ready. I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of projects coming soon, one which I am very excited about. Can you tell us any teasers for upcoming projects? Sure. Actually, you and I both are part of the charity anthology uh, called Midnight in the Renaissance Elevator. That's coming out September 1st. Yeah. And that's benefiting the Trevor Project. So I loved your story for it. And uh, I'm really excited about that one. Those are very short stories, though. So mine does not have a suspense element or an actual animal in it, which was very sad. Cool. <laughs> but it's still fun. Yeah, it's such a good story. And they're connected-ish. So that's it fun is. with Beck Gray. So yes. for anyone buying it, read the whole book. And then those three are a little bit loosely connected. And we're all in order. It's you, me, and then Beck Gray. So it, it all works out. Yeah. Hello. So then I'm also writing a Christmas novel called What's Santa Got to Do With It? <laughs> And that's about Steve, who's a side character in Head Over Feels, and it's his bisexual awakening story. But there is also a rabbit, and there is also a hitman that I recently added. So it's going to be a lot of fun, and I can't wait to find out how it ends. So (laughs) I'll keep you posted as I write it. I'm just picturing the social media graphic already that's just Christmas, by awakening, rabbit shenanigans, hitman. It's just such a fun hodgepodge. (laughs) The hitman might get his own little spinoff story. We're we're just going to have to see. I am so pumped for that. (laughs) If I have time, I don't know that I'm going to have time to write it before Christmas. It's going to have to be Christmas themed, maybe in the spring. We'll see what happens. (laughs) Someone signed me up to do a 
Valentine's Day anthologies. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to have to work on that next. <laughs> Fun projects to come. <laughs> but I have the best animal story for that for that project. I can't wait. Oh, I'm going to have to hear more about that. That's Oh, I haven't heard anything yet, so we'll have to talk later. Yes. Ooh. It's like sum everything up. What can people expect from a Big Sparrow story? Low angst, of course. That's something I'm actually doing intentionally now, <laughs> as opposed to before. Currently, I'm only writing contemporary, but you never know what will happen in the future. And readers can always count on humor and animals. And then if it's a full-length novel, there will be some suspense elements as well. That's great. What's the best way for readers to learn more about your books and get in touch? My website, which is bixbarrow.com, has all my books. And then there's also a link to sign up for my newsletter and you'll get a free novella, which is always excellent. I love getting free novellas myself. So I'm signed up for way too many newsletters. But... <laughs> Come check it out, and hopefully people will find uh, something that interests them. Wonderful. And I'll put a link in the show notes to your website and stuff. Thank awesome. you so much for joining me. This has been super fun to chat with you. It absolutely has. I'm so glad you invited me to come on the show. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Bix. It was so great getting to chat with her. Thanks for joining me in the Low Angst Library. Is there an author of Low Angst Queer Romance that you'd like me to interview? There's a link in the show notes and on lowangstlibrary.com with a guest suggestion form. And if you're an author writing Low Angst Queer Romance, there's a self-suggestion form in the show notes and on the website as well. A major goal of mine with this podcast is to have guests writing main characters in romance novels that represent identities all over the queer spectrum. So your suggestions will really help me with that. And if you'd like to financially support the podcast to help offset the costs of hosting, editing software, and transcription for accessibility, you can buy me a coffee. The link is in the show notes. Other ways you can support the podcast are sharing episodes with your reader friends, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or another podcatcher you found the show on. The show is also on social media at Low Angst Library. Until next time, keep reading.